Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey there, it's uh, Friday. Happy Friday. Happy January 5th. January 5th. Yeah. Hey, uh, you'll notice on your DBR cards, if you have one of those in your hands, one of the ones that Pastor Rod likes to flex on the uh, the podcast here, that very one right there, you'll notice that if you jump over to February, you'll look at February and you'll say, okay, there's 28 days. That seems about right. Except that this year happens to be a year where we have one extra day in the, uh, the Earth's rotation around the sun. That's pretty rad. It is. It is. But you're looking at your card going, well, wait a minute. I only have through February 28th. So what are we going to do on February 29th? Party. We are going to party. Yeah. No, we're going to have you read the whole Bible in one day on uh, on that day instead. Challenge accepted. No, it's uh, it's kind of a, a free space it, like in bingo. Like you can, you can read what you want to read on that day, but we will probably do a bonus episode on that day. I don't know what we'll cover necessarily, but maybe we'll do something on... Uh, reliability of the the bible or something like that we'll, we'll we'll put something out there so that you have something to uh to continue to chew on as we work our way through the the bible reading plan that's before us when i do free parking i like to do 200 dollars when you land on it <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that we can do pastor rod will give you 200 dollars <laughs> from pastor pj's bank account yes i'd be happy to give me your debit card and i will begin handing out the checks <laughs> yeah that no. all you yeah but uh, yeah, it's that's it's a unique year, the the leap year. I don't even know why it's here, like why it happens. Yeah, well, because the calendar isn't precise. Every fourth year, right? Every yep. fourth year we do Every it because year. we're off by a quarter of a year. So, yeah. I I don't know what that. Yeah, I don't know if there's a better solution or if, if the calendar is as what it is, and we just have to do it. So I heard somewhere that if each month only had twenty eight days, four weeks that it would work out perfectly, but you would have to add, I think you would add an extra month into the calendar year. Like I think 13 months, everything's for, I don't know. I saw it on Instagram. Instagram never lies. So it must be true. (laughs) Yes. The reliable information that you find, maybe that could be our podcast episode, the reliability of the internet. Okay. How to trust everything you read. Yeah. Or why not to trust everything that you read? Maybe that would be better. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's what it is. And if you're if you were born on January 29th, then you are a quarter less old than uh, than everybody else thinks that you are. Or February 29th. That's what I meant. Yep. February 29th. I was tracking. Yep. Yeah. I think everybody else was too. But I hope so. Yeah. February. Then if you were if you were 16 right now, then you're only really four years old. So yeah, give, I guess every year you get to choose, right? Give the keys back and you're done. What is it? So when you're choosing your date of birth on forms. You can't, I don't think you can, you can select February 29th. I think you have to choose either the 28th or the, that's got to be a nightmare dealing with the government. It has like to you be. Just, uh, it's the 29th. I was born on the 29th. Just yeah. could, let me have this. I think I would still want my birth month. So I think I would still choose the 28th of February instead of going to March. Oh, March, that just feels like a, it feels different. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I mean, maybe if I was born on like 1159 PM on the 29th, then I might say, okay, fine. I'll, I'll just embrace March. But mm, mm. Otherwise, I think 
probably would stay in uh, in February. Yeah, I like February. Maybe nice. I wonder if anybody has a leap year birthday. I don't think I don't we think know of anybody in our church does. Yeah, but uh, maybe you're you right. Know Even somebody somebody who does. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we do know anybody. Yeah. Period. Crazy times. Hey, also crazy times. What's going on in Job's life? It's uh, pretty pretty insane. Crazy I think times. he would welcome having a birthday on January twenty or February 29th rather than having to deal with a lot of what he's doing with it at this time, at least in the book. We're going to pick up in Job chapter six. And remember, we are in Job because Job, the events of Job at least, seem to be concurrent with the patriarchal period of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so forth and so on. So uh, we are in the uh, the midst of the the initial onslaught of uh, of Job's friends again scare quotes <laughs> around that term uh, coming to try to comfort him and and there's this back and forth and this is a rhythm that's going to be here until God steps in later on in the book but there's this back and forth between Job and his friends and there's these cycles of his friends who step forward and they give their advice and Job responds and sometimes Job's talking to them and sometimes Job's talking to God and sometimes Job's just talking to the the ether about his situation. But uh, in chapter six, we open up um, with uh, with Job pushing back on his friends and, and, and basically chapter six comes down to Job saying to them, okay, prove it prove it. Like you, you think I've got this concealed wickedness that God is somehow punishing and, and I deserve all this. Prove it. And, and specifically in verses 14 through 30 of chapter six, that's what Job is, is doing. He says in, in chapter six, verse 24, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how have I gone astray? Uh, verse 25, right after that, how forceful and upright are your words, but what does reproof from you reprove? It's poetic, and it's it's Job saying, "Okay, I, I hear you. I, I, I you're very passionate about how evil I must be, but what specifically can you point to in my life to say this is what you've done wrong, Job?" Yeah, and verses fourteen, give or take the twenty three, he he laments the fact that instead of bringing a refreshing drink, that these friends are bringing uh, they're bringing death and destruction. And I began to think about the kind of interactions that we typically have with people. Our words can, even even if we're not consoling somebody who's suffering or struggling, our words can be so often flippant and painful. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay, so I, I went to the barber recently. This is an, I won't tell you where because now there's there's personal people involved. And I was trying to communicate to my I think they call them stylists there. Okay, I was trying to communicate to my stylist like, hey, um, here, here's what I want. And I took a picture and like, oh, this guy, Danny Kim gave me this great haircut. Here's what he did. I, I want it exactly like that. And the stylist was like wounded and offended. Like that hurts. Like what? Why? <laughs> why? Oh, well, because I, I'm trying to do, I, that's what I'm doing. And I'm like, no, it's, it's different though. And like, well, but it, <laughs> there's a bit of a language barrier too, because it's not, English is not the first language. But anyhow, I, I just began, to, I, as I walked away a bit fl- frustrated and flustered that things happened the way they did, I, just began, like, I wasn't trying to hurt them. I wasn't trying to be mean or dismissive or to be belligerent in any way. But so many times our words can do that for yep. people. And Job is saying, man, I wish you guys would provide some refreshment. Instead, you guys are, you're, you're not providing this weary traveler any bit of solace or consolation whatsoever. I, and I want to this year, as I try to build relationships, I want to be really good about choosing my words carefully mm. and deploying them strategically and thoughtfully. And I don't want to be like Job's friends. Well, you've always had the, the gift of, of eloquence. You were, after all, <laughs> the, golden, the golden tongue. Tell them what that means. They don't even understand what they're talking about. So 
yeah, Chrysostom was was a, a early church father, preacher known for his eloquence, and uh, and Pastor Rod has always had the same similar giftedness there. And uh, our embellished. our sending pastor on our way out, um, I, I think, goodheartedly, but he referred to Pastor Rod as, as the golden tongue. He called him Chryso- Chrysostom in the same context that he referred to me as the baby head. <laughs> you got this baby head, he said. That was so funny, man. Yeah. You got the short end of the stick on that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was talking about the church being a baby, like the church plant, and me as the, the lead pastor being as the, the head. The baby head. As the baby head. And he was like, and then you've got Pastor Rod, Chris Austin over here, the golden tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, it was awesome. It was Fun awesome. Fun times. Yeah. So uh, be more like Chris Austin. Um, but uh, yeah, no, and that's a, a repeating. The book of Proverbs has so much to say about how we can use our words and our our. Our, our tongues to bless people um, and uh, and also the danger that James talks about it. He says, from the same mouth can come blessing and cursing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a, a theme that repeats itself throughout scripture. So that's a, a worthwhile goal as we think about this new year and how we use our, our language and our words. Mm. Well, chapter seven, then uh, Job is still speaking here. And in chapter seven, there's just not a whole lot of, of hope here. In fact, he's, he's pretty much just despairing of life itself throughout the entirety of the, the chapter. Uh, verse six, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. I don't know if you've ever seen the old fashioned looms where the, the, the shuttle is just going back and forth across the, the, the uh, garment or the fabric that's being woven together. It's, it's, it's going by fast. And that's what he's saying. He says, my days are, are passing by so quickly and their end comes without any hope. Uh, he says, remember my life is but a breath. My eye will never again see good. And so here you see just Job is, is losing hope more and more and more throughout as all of this happens. And, and to Pastor Rod, to your point, his friends are not helping him uh, to regain any of that hope there. Um, and, and he's, he's uh, we'll often say, so my son recently went out for the, uh, the baseball team at, uh, at Prosper and uh, made the freshman baseball team. So that's exciting. Cool. That's fun. Um, but Josh. he went out for tryouts and he was, he was unsure of himself going out for tryouts. And I told him, I said, Josh, you're playing with house money, man. Like you're going with no expectations. Like you're not going out there expecting to be the best one on the team with everybody looking at you like you should be. You're going out and you get to do what you want to do. So Job's kind of getting to that place where he's, for lack of a better term, playing with house money. Look at verse 11. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. He's getting to the place that he's going, okay, how much worse could it really get? Like, I'm kind of there. I'm, I'm going to give full vent to how I feel. And not that this is a good or, or right response from Job, but that's just where he's at. There's an honesty about chapter seven, about uh, Job's current state. And again, we've said this before last year in particular, but what's commendable about Job's response is the honesty. Yeah. Brutal as it might be, and, and perhaps unguarded in, in cases where we, we would say, oh, you probably shouldn't say that, Job. What God wants from us, and we repeated this last year too, and this I'm sure will come up again this year, but God wants from us is our heart. He doesn't want our professions, our mere professions, I should say. He doesn't want our our outward goodness. He wants all of us, and that includes the dirty, difficult stuff too. So if anything, we can learn from Job's response to God is that he does not, and again, there's such a fine line, which is why I'm hesitating saying it this way. He doesn't hold back. Don't hold back with God. God can handle your baggage. Of course, there is a line to be aware of. You yeah. should fear God. He's going to say that. Job 28, 28, one of my favorite verses in the book, where he'll tell us about what it is to have wisdom. It's to fear God, essentially. So fear God, but don't hold back in what you say to God. God can handle your your hard feelings. God can handle your difficulties. Always maintain that respect, but be honest with God. Chapter 8, then enter Bildad the Bloviator. 
Wow. Um, yeah. How long did you, like you spend on that one? Uh, did you chat GPT that one? It didn't. It came didn't. to you at night it in a vision? To me. It, yes. Was it a vision of God? It was, uh, I, there was a chariot and there was a bunch wow. of eyes There's all eyes around all the wheels. Like, oh, yeah. Then there was this temple. It was crazy. <laughs> this is this is great. Yeah. I'm going to start using these blank pages in my Bible to write down what you just had experienced of. Let's not do that. That's how cults start. And uh, we're not that. Yeah. No, Bildad isn't. I, I got angry at Bildad and I got angry at Bildad for verses four through six. Look at this. Verse four. If your children have sinned against God, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. Talk about not using your words in a kind and compassionate way. Job is lost like his kids are dead. He's buried his children. And here's Bildad going, well, if they sin, then God brought them what they were due. Like how it's do not you- untrue. It's not untrue, but it's certainly not the whole truth. Right, right. And, and I would say it's an untruth in the sense that he believes that this is a direct correlation of God killing them because they did some specific sin, some specific transgression. And that's not at least what the context of Job sets up. And so, you know, Bildad is, is speaking out of turn and out of place, presuming to speak for God, what he doesn't know to be true. Um, he, he says some, some things that are true, like verse five, if you will seek God and plead with God for mercy. Uh, I mean, th- th- again, that's a, that's a right posture that all of us should have, no matter what we're going through, whether you're in trial or not, we should constantly be seeking the Lord and, and have a readiness to repent when we need to repent. But, uh, but man, Bildad is, is just not, he is not a, a soothing, comforting uh, advisor or friend at all. Uh, he accuses Job of one who has forgotten God in verse 13. Such are the paths of all who forget God, the hope of the godless. So he, now he's saying, Job, you're, you're one who's forgotten God. You're godless in your character. Mm. Um, and he goes on to, to describe some of the ways that he feels like Job is uh, is similar to that and how the godless are. He describes that down through verse 20. Um and then he says this, behold, in verse 20, God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evil doers. Uh, and so in other words, Job, you have blame. And uh, and the reason why God is not taking your hand right now, so to speak, metaphorically, is you're an evildoer, you're wicked. And so, man, Bildad just, here comes the 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 guns and he just blasts away at Job in this. And it's, it's cruel, to say the least. How do we, how does a Christian read this text and give sufficient weight to the heaviness of what's taking place here without thinking poorly about God. Here's what I mean by that. We just said the cruelty of Bill dad. Billy is saying, look, your sin, your, your kids sinned, they died. We know that's not the case, but what we also know is that Job's kids died because God was picking a fight with the devil. They did nothing. I mean, when presumably they were, they were sinners just like the rest of us, but they did nothing that would warrant their death. If one were to look at, going to look at this book cynically, they might say, well, this is God being capricious. This is God just being trite and he's just playing with human lives in order to prove a point. How do you think a Christian can rightly weigh what happens to to, to Job's kids and to Job without, uh, without erring on the side of saying, well, God is mean or he's cruel or whatever, you know, an atheist like a Richard Dawkins or uh, what's his name? Um, who's the other guy that recently died within the last couple of years? Hitchens. Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens. I, I hear his voice all the time, especially as I read Job. I think about someone like him who would attack God in situations like this. So, how do you recommend that we handle some of these really heavy things? This is one of the areas wherein I, I'm I'm a, a, a ardent champion of the sovereignty of God. I, I am in in, in 
all areas of life. I, I think that uh, when it comes to salvation, I, I plant myself squarely in the, the, the camp of God's sovereignty over those things. But I do think we can press it too far. And I think we need to read the text and let the text speak for itself. And so in the beginning of Job, in Job chapter 1, uh, when Satan appears before God, he inquires of God, and or God inquires of him, and, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, now read through the text and look for where God says, go kill his children. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not going to find that. So I think we, while God is sovereign in the sense that he is, is permitting Satan to go and do Satan's activity, God is not giving Satan, here's what you should go do. Go do this, go do this, go do this, go do this, go do this. Uh, could God have sovereignly intervened and stopped? He could have. Yeah. Was it part of his plan to stop Satan from doing that? No. Why? It, above our pay grade there. I mean, we, that's us trying to crawl into the mind of God and, and sort through the, the filing cabinets until we can figure out what he was thinking there. Right. But nowhere does it say in the text, and God incited Satan to kill Job's children. Right. He permitted, he allowed Satan to go and, and afflict Job and Satan being the, the, the pinnacle of all wickedness and evil in the world chose to go to the place that it would hurt Job the most. And he imme- immediately went after his, his family. So I think we have to be careful not to charge God with wrongdoing to the sense of saying, God, you killed Job's children. Mm-hmm. Satan is the one that did that uh, under the permissive will of God. And yeah, can we fully explain that? Understand that? No, but I do think it's important that we differentiate the actors in this, uh, the sovereign, uh, permitter, and then the, the, the one that is, is doing the actual carrying out of, of the evil and the, the wickedness against Job. So the one who's directly guilty versus God, who is ultimately behind the scenes controlling, sovereignly ordaining all things. But there is a difference in, in terms of who's responsible. Right. I think the important takeaway for us here is we work through this text again, as we did last year, if you were with us. It's important. If you're suffering right now, then this book may not be the best for you. You might be struggling with Job and saying, yes, I feel the same way. Or, or maybe you're not suffering right now and you're just like, hey, life's pretty good. You know, God's been kind to me and my family's well and things are going this and that. If you're not suffering right now, you should be preparing for it. Mm-hmm. This is not a cynical like, hey, you better watch out. God's going to get you. This is more like, no, I, life is promised to be difficult. Yeah. Jesus said, if you're going to follow Christ, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you, Peter says. Our job is to read Job and to say, I need to make sure my heart's ready for this. Maybe not exactly this, but to be ready because God is, as you're saying, Pastor PJ, he's, he's ordaining all things. And even if he's not the one who's directly guilty behind the scenes doing those things, it's he's doing all things for our good and his glory. Our, our job is to be prepared for those things. And to, as Peter says in First Peter chapter 2, to suffer with Christ, to put on that same mentality to say, I'm going to be ready to do this no matter what comes my way. Yeah. Yeah, in chapter 9, then, we get Job's response, and uh, and the ESV sums it up well. He says, there is no arbiter. I mean, I I titled this guilty with no hope of mediation. I mean, there's no one there to plead Job's case. Um, We have this idea of uh, we have a right to representation in our our country, right? I mean, you're innocent until proven guilty. Uh, Job is is bemoaning the the opposite of that in his situation. He says even in verse 2, he says, Truly, I know all these things to be so, but how can a man be right before God? That's a question that's worth our pondering. How can a man be right before God? And and, uh, in essence, we can't. And, uh, and, And this is where I... 
I, I feel for Job because he didn't have a comprehension of imputed righteousness. He didn't have the understanding of the gospel that you and I know today. Because we would answer that question, how can a man be right before God? We would say, well, he can't be right before God, but in Christ he can be because he can be right with Christ's righteousness. Mm-hmm. Job didn't have that benefit. I mean, the, the faith that Job had to exercise in, in God's character and his promises and who he was, uh, this is faith that's being extended without a knowledge of the cross, without a knowledge of uh, the righteousness of Christ that's ours through faith. This is a difficult position for him to be in. And and I think that's what does lead to a lot of the the hopelessness. Um, And so Job is just throughout this chapter promoting, I have no grounds. What am I to do here? He does as he pleases and I can't do a thing. And there's even an awareness of, of his sinfulness still. Verse 20, look at that one. It says, though I'm in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Like, I think I'm good, but but I also have this fear that if I were to open my mouth, that, that I would be found guilty somehow that I, I don't know. And I, that's part of Job's frustration. He's willing to be shown that he's wrong, but he doesn't see it and no one can point it to him. And God at this point is, is silent in that regard. It's important to remind ourselves about the difference between absolute and comparative righteousness. Clearly Job is not saying to himself or to anyone else, like I I am perfectly righteous. Right. I mean, he he sacrificed after all. He, He knew that there were issues. The difference here is that Job's life was otherwise exemplary. He dealt with his sin. He confessed it. He, I mean, as far as we understand it, he, he responded to the light that God had given him. You're saying, Pastor PJ, he doesn't even have, he doesn't have the gospel. He doesn't have the things that we have. And as far as we know, he doesn't even have Genesis 15, where God says, Abraham, uh, Abraham believed God and right. he credited it to him as righteousness, which is interesting, an interesting thought about how God interacts with us in terms of our faith. I mean, we respond to the light we're given, but here what we have is, is Job's, Job's awareness that he is not absolutely perfect, but comparatively speaking, he's living a life that is exemplary, a life that is trusting in the almighty. That's how he refers to God. And, and that's something that we ourselves, we're not off the hook here. We have far more light available to us. We have far much more scripture to respond to, and it's commendable to see Job respond the way that he does. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just as we bring chapter 9 to an end here, verse 32 it should be such an encouragement to us on this side of the cross, knowing what we do have with the light that we do have. Because look what he says in 32. He's not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Christian, that that is who Christ is on our behalf. In Hebrews uh, chapter 7, it says that Christ lives to make intercession for us. That's that mediatorial role that he has between us and God right now because we're guilty. Uh, we are, are not, and in fact, I think we're even comparatively guilty. I, I, I don't know, I don't think God would, would hold me up and say, consider PJ, there's not a man like him on the face of the earth, right? Um, Job is is unique in that regard and yet still was a man who was sin, sinful and um, so when he's bemoaning, hey, I don't have a mediator, Christian, read that with such gratitude in your heart that you do have a mediator, that you do have Jesus Christ, that when you sin, you can go to him and he does ever live to make intercession for you and plead his righteousness on your behalf. So what an encouraging thought that we get to have now that, that Job only had in the, the, the faintest whispers if he had it at all. Hey, y'all, we are grateful for you guys and thankful that you're, you're tuning in. Thanks for the questions that you've been sending in. We've gotten some good questions on Genesis so far, and I'm sure there's questions on Job. So if you have them, podcast at compassntx.org. You can send those emails to us, and they do come in, and we do respond to them. 
Um, and uh, if it's a question that we feel like, hey, this would be something that, that would be good sharing, we'll maybe bring it back to a future episode of the podcast and, and, and we'll kick it around credit. there. Yeah, we'll give you a credit we'll for give sending you a shout out. out. Yeah. So send those emails if you got your questions. Don't. This is not stump the pastor. This is just. Uh, <laughs> That's not hard to do. R- hey, the truth. Yeah, but <laughs> no. This is uh, this is we want to be helpful, and so we realize we're not going to be able to hit everything. That's not our goal either. So if you've got questions, burrs in your saddle, pebbles in your shoe, uh, something stuck in your craw, then let us know, and we'll do our best to answer it for you. That's right. Keep reading your Bible, and we'll catch you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.